millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST site, my website, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz or banking day. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business from our website, leongetler.com. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 26 in our series for 2023, and today's date is Friday, July the 28th. First, I'll be talking to serial entrepreneur and business coach Tom Williams from Innovation Consult, and I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about the latest jobs figures. But first, let's talk to Tom Williams. Tom, when should leaders step back from their business? Well, Leon, this is a, an interesting puzzle. I'm talking here about companies that are sort of making the transition from startup to scale-up uh, companies, and often they're experts who come in and they do well for a few years because they have great expertise, because they have an existing network, they get the business up and running and they're going pretty well. But then they have to make the difficult transition from being experts to being entrepreneurs. And as well as the challenges of you know finding good people, hiring them and having them be capable of department head type operations, the experts often get addicted, shall we say, to being the sort of chief problem solver, chief five ball juggler in the organization that everyone goes to, to get their answers and solve their problems. And they kind of have to step back from that and give up that to allow the next level of uh, leaders in the organization to step up and own the, the mission, if you like. And I've even got one client I've worked with whose wife finally, shall we say, spat the dummy and uh, said, right, we're going to Bali uh, for a year. And having finally got some good people in the organization, he found when he took that step that they stepped up and actually the place ran better while he was away. So what you need is focus management. Focus management really comes back to, you know, if, 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 if you ask these sort of early stage entrepreneurs what their main problem is, they'll say, well, I just don't have enough time in the day. You know, I can do it all, but I just don't have enough time in the day. But really, 
their problem, I think, is not time management, but focus management. They tend to be chasing getting everything done that needs to be done on that day on an urgent basis, rather than blocking out time for the longer term strategic issues and making those priorities. They fall for the trap of just letting the urgent press out and eliminate the time for the important. So um, how do you build a scalable market mach marketing machine that, that consistently drives sales and profits? Well, first of all, you've got to identify your ideal clients and you will be familiar and your audience will be familiar with ROE, return on equity, but I uh, have another definition of ROE, return on effort. And I encourage my uh, clients to plot the profit contribution from different categories of clients with the effort that it takes for the organization to, to serve those clients and look for a group of ideal clients that are not only profitable, but also pleasant to work with and don't excessively take up a lot of time, time and effort. And once you've identified those clients, then it's a matter of thinking about, well, where can you reach them? How can you reach them? And primarily with outbound marketing, you can use things like Sales Navigator to identify where these people are, how to reach them and begin a conversation with them and set up a pipeline that allows you to predictably and reliably and repeatedly get $5 or $3 back for every dollar that you invest in finding these clients and converting them and finding these targets and converting them to clients. Now, you talk about entrepreneurs needing five springboards. What are these? Well, what I found going back to, to the basics, if you like, was that there, there are certain barriers to, to growth, but there are five fundamentals for a business, for a small business I'm talking about here, to get past these barriers and keep growing. Number one is to have a, a value proposition. In other words, something that's so appealing to your target clients that they're happily going to hand over the money to, to get. Number two, well, you've got to have a, a vision of where you're going to get to. And I encourage founders to, instead of just inching their way forward, shall we say, along the railway track, take a helicopter ride to the future, think three, five, six years out, and design their ideal organization in the future, and then look backwards to how they how they got there. So number two is, is sort of vision and a plan and strategy to get there. Number three is people. And in the long run, you know, the quality of people you can get and developing leaders in your organization is probably the single most important thing you can do. Number four is uh, process and systems so that things run well in the background and it doesn't all turn to crap when the volume does increase. And number five is what we referred to a minute ago with a, a sales and marketing machine that becomes a profit center instead of a cost. Why is culture and employee, employer branding and values key to attracting and retaining talent? Well, it's a very competitive world these days to find quality uh, people. They're, they're, they're in demand and, uh, and a lot of uh, employers will say that that's one of their toughest problems. But often they haven't thought it through fundamentally from the perspective of the target employee. You know, if you're 
young and talented, why would you want to go and work with with a particular organization? So you've got to think through what you're providing so that you can become the employer of choice. And often the younger generation wants a social purpose beyond just making money that they can that they can believe in they want to have some fun in the organization they want to believe they're going to be working with people that they're going to enjoy working with of course they want uh, you know they, they want good remuneration they want uh, career prospects but it's the total package of uh, sort of believing in the organization you know sustainability uh, ESG is coming into it more and more So it's that total package to become the employer of choice. So how do you craft an irresistible value proposition to attract your ideal customers? Yes, well, it's a creative challenge as well as 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 a logical challenge. You know, I'm reminded of a story I read a while ago that the director, the European director of Harley-Davidson being interviewed by uh, by a uh, motorbiking journalist was asked, how's the motorbike business going? And the... European director of Harley Davidson said, well, I wouldn't know. And the journalist, uh, very surprised, said, well, you're uh, in the business of selling motorbikes, aren't you? And he said, no. He said, well, what do you sell? Well, we sell 43-year-old accountants the uh, chance to dress up in black leather and ride through small towns making a loud noise and scaring people and uh, feeling good about themselves when they've probably got a pretty boring uh, life during the week. So an irresistible value proposition goes to the depths of, you know, what is the emotional payoff that, uh, that people want? In other words, you as a business really have to understand your customers first. You have to understand them in depth, their problems, their desires, uh, their psyche, as well as the more functional needs that they have for your product or service. Final question, how do you develop systems and processes to ensure your business runs like clockwork? Well, often I think this is something that it can pay to get some external consulting advice in. Of course, software these days is so important for CRMs or ERPs, although I encourage people to do everything on paper first to understand you know how to really optimize the 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 journey shall we say you've got the journey of someone becoming a client you've got the the journey that they go on once they become a client or you can even look at say the journey of an invoice uh, through your accounting system so to plot out all these journeys, if you like, uh, initially on paper, and then look for software that can uh, help you automate it, and uh, of course involve your your team in the creative uh, process so that they feel like they've got some input and ownership and and want to implement it. That all sounds like a lot of work for any entrepreneur. <laughs> well, there's no escaping the work that any entrepreneur. Uh, has, as you well well know, uh, Leon, work-life balance is uh, something that's obtainable, you know, it's down the track a bit, but in the early stages, uh, it's, uh, it's it, your work has to be your life in order to be successful. Which all comes back to your background as a scientist. Well, it's just an unusual uh, start, perhaps, for an entrepreneur, but it did, uh, it did get me looking for what you know, what was, if you like, the formula behind successful businesses. And I wouldn't say that I was a rapid student myself, but 
hopefully in the book that I've just released, Start Up, Scale Up or Screw Up, which uh, certainly recounts some of my misadventures. Uh, but hopefully that will provide a, a formula that any uh, founder can follow to help scale their business. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure talking to you and thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome, Leon. Thank you. And now let's talk to Indeed economist, Callum Pickering. Callum, the unemployment rate has uh, come in at 3.5% to try to slow down the economy. What's your take on this? Yeah, the labour market continues to exceed expectations. Uh, it remains incredibly strong. 3.5% uh, unemployment rate, only slightly above the October low of 3.4%, which of course was the lowest unemployment rate in a half century. And it's proving to be highly resilient, despite the fact that the, the broader economy does appear to be slowing. And there's good reason to expect that the unemployment rate is going to stay pretty low over at least the next few months, because there is still incredible demand for talent across the country, with job vacancies still almost about twice as high as they were before the pandemic began. Right, okay. And this, how many would be in full employment, full-time? How many would be full-time employed? So what we've seen over the course of this year is we've had an increase in employment of about 255,000 people, and about 85% of those um, jobs have been full-time jobs. So the economy is not only creating a lot of jobs, it's creating a lot of high-quality you know, well-paying jobs, which of course is is a great sign. Uh, a strong economy is typically one where you see a lot of full-time employment, uh, a lot of full-time job creation. That's precisely what we're seeing right now. So that's great to see. But this is a risk that translates into higher wages, doesn't it? Well, potentially. Um, we, we know that wage pressures have been building over the, the course of the past year. Wages are currently at, growing at about 3.7%. That's the highest we've seen in a decade. There's good reason to expect that that's going to pick up a little bit over the next six months. We could potentially push 4%. And so that, that can be a concern going forward because there is a, a belief that wage growth of that nature isn't consistent with the RBA's 2 to 3%. Uh, inflation target. So what can we what can we expect for the RBA? A rate hike in August? Well, not necessarily. The the RBA has flagged that they do believe that further rate hikes may very well be necessary to contain the current inflation outbreak. But they're also very mindful that it takes a long time for those earlier rate hikes to fully impact the economy. We are also seeing some really good developments overseas, which could give the RBA a, a good reason to pause. Uh, inflation in the US has come down quite sharply in recent months, currently just slightly below 3%. And there would be an expectation that Australia might follow a little bit later. Uh, if you remember back to the inflation outbreak, uh, it happened in the US, it happened in Europe, and then Australia followed. There's a very good chance that we're going to see something very similar on the, on the downside for inflation. So the fact that we are seeing uh, softer inflation figures in the US, in, in Europe, it does suggest that Australia is going to follow suit at some point. The RBA may very well be happy to to wait and, and see how that evolves before they make their next decision. Uh, but the I mean, the US inflation rate at one stage was something like 9%. It's now down to around 3%, but that was because the Fed acted very early and very hard, unlike the RBA. That's true. That's, that's true. I mean, they did hike rates a little bit more than the RBA did, but I think rates in Australia tend to hit the economy a little bit faster than they do in the US, in large part because we have so many variable rate mortgages, whereas in the US, it's primarily a fixed rate mortgage system. And so households get hit a lot faster in Australia than they do in, in the US. So I think, you know, in, in terms of the overall impact of those high rates, it's probably very similar across the, the two countries. So the fact that we are seeing this, this in the US right now is a good sign for inflation in Australia. But to get the inflation down to 2 to 3%, it's uh, what's just 
now slightly under 6%. So how long do you expect it to take to get down to 2 to 3%? Well, this is going to be the, um, I guess, the, the difficult part about this. I think it's going to be quite easy to get inflation under 4% uh, because of what we are seeing globally. It's going to be much more difficult to get it consistently under 2 to 3%. You might get there briefly. Um, just because of some of the month-to-month the -month or quarter-to-quarter -quarter dynamics that you have in play. But to remain consistently within that 2 to 3% target potentially could uh, require some some further tightening. One of the, the problems is it does feel as though the combination of unemployment at 3.5%, wage growth at 3.7%, and some pretty poor productivity numbers don't appear to be consistent with an, a inflation rate of between two and three percent consistently so something is going to have to shift in those dynamics and we're not sure how that's sort of going to evolve but um, something's definitely going to have to change whether the unemployment rate increases by a little bit or wage growth comes back down or productivity figures improve one of those variables is going to have to change if we want to get back to consistently to that two to three percent target interesting what you said that the uh, the rate hikes had yet caught up with uh, the economy yeah, I mean, conventional thinking is that it takes about 12 to 18 months for any change in interest rates to fully flow through the economy. Now, it affects certain people very quickly. It, it takes a little bit longer for others. I guess the best way of thinking about it is if you take home loans, for example, there's a lot of people on variable rate loans, but there's a lot of people on fixed rate loans. And as those fixed rate loans roll over, those people get hit with the rate changes. And those people could have you know two years left on their um, their mortgage on their fixed rate mortgage before it rolls over. And so it can take some time for that to, to flow through and, and impact mortgage holders, but it's also going to take some time to flow through and just hit the, the broader economy in general um, and, and change the way people are, are spending and the way businesses are investing and things of that nature. So it doesn't happen overnight. It can take a good 12 to 18 months typically for a rate change to, to fully impact the economy. Now, unemployment's at 3.5%. Uh, and you, you don't expect any hike in the unemployment rate for some time? Based on the, the forward-looking um, indicators for labour market demand, I, I think that's unlikely in the near term. Um, job vacancies are still about twice as high as they were before the pandemic began. On Indeed, we continue to see an incredible number of um, job advertisements each and every month, just far and away above what would be considered normal. It's highly unlikely we're going to see a big spike in the unemployment rate while that's the case. There's just too many jobs out there. You lose your job in the current environment, you can reasonably expect to re-enter the workforce pretty quickly because there's just so many opportunities uh, across every industry and, and basically every type of occupation. So this is still very much a, a labour market that remains favourable to the job seeker. That's interesting because um, Michelle Bullock, as you know, said that unemployment would have to go to about 4.5% to bring inflation down. <laughs> they believe that a 4.5% rate is what's going to be necessary to get inflation consistently within that 2 to 3% target band, um, which is sort of what I was getting to before, where you know it's hard to believe we can consistently achieve that inflation target with an unemployment rate of 3.5%. It would be nice if we could, but history tells us that that's probably not going to be the case. So yes, the, the Reserve Bank does believe that the unemployment rate is going to need to go a little bit higher. To be truthful, they, they don't precisely know what unemployment rate is consistent with uh, meeting the inflation target. Um, it could be 4.5%. It could very well be 4%. And you only really know that for sure when it's uh, occurring. So hopefully it's going to be a little bit lower than the RBA anticipates. It would be good if the, we can get through this whole inflation cycle without a, 
a, a big increase in the unemployment rate, but, but certainly Michelle Bullock um, does expect that we might need to see the unemployment rate increase by a, a full percentage point. Which might mean that the whole Nauru might need reassessing. Well, that's right. The, the Nauru is more a theoretical concept. It, it's something we understand to be true, but actually identifying precisely what that number is, is, is very, very difficult. Um, and it can change over time. It all basically comes down to just how responsive are uh, wages to the unemployment rate. And what we did see in the lead up to the pandemic was that wages were a little bit uh, less sensitive than they had been in the past. They were taking a lot longer to, to increase than we might have anticipated. And so the... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There is a good reason to suggest that maybe the Nauru is a little bit below that 4.5% rate. It could very well be closer to 4%. Um, and if that's the case, then the unemployment rate doesn't have to increase by as much to get inflation back down to that 2 two to 3% target. So how long would that, that take? How many years would that take? I mean, look, I wouldn't necessarily want to put a, um, a firm date on it. I mean, what we are seeing overseas is uh, certainly very pleasing with regards to inflation coming down quite quickly and, and more quickly than policymakers had anticipated. Um, so that does suggest that we might be able to get there a little bit faster than the RBA had anticipated. They were sort of talking about at least another two years of sort of just slowly getting back to, to target, but it appears as though we might um, get there a little bit uh, faster than they'd anticipated. Certainly with the figures coming out of the US and the UK, that would suggest it's actually coming up a lot faster than central bankers had expected. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's come as a little bit of a surprise. There are still some aspects of inflation that are, are likely to prove a little bit more persistent. In, in Australia, there's the RBA is certainly concerned about service sector inflation, which is driven primarily by domestic sources rather than uh, overseas factors. So what we are likely to see is a situation where those overseas factors are going to be really weak. We're not going to be importing much inflation from abroad, but some of those domestic factors could remain a little bit high in the near term. And the RBA would like to see that that service sector or domestically driven inflation begin to, to come off a little bit for them to be comfortable with the, the long-term projection for inflation. So that sort of ties into a little bit around what I said, where I think it's going to be easy to get down below 4%. Getting back to 2 to 3% is going to be a little bit more difficult. So that could take some time. Potentially. Yeah, certainly I think that inflation is going to be lower than anticipated over the next 12 months, just based on what we are seeing globally right now. But, but getting it back to that that sweet spot that the RBA is really happy with is still going to prove quite difficult, I think. Well, Callum, it's been great talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. So what's happening in the news? Well, it's rare for corporate brands to become so intertwined with everyday conversation that they become verbs. It's rarer still for the owner of such a brand to announce plans to intentionally destroy it. On Sunday, in the middle of a quiet summer weekend, Elon Musk decreed that Twitter's pr product name 
will be changed to X, and that he's getting rid of the bird logo and all the associated words, including tweet. Musk's move wiped out anywhere between $4 billion and $20 billion in value, according to analysts and brand agency. It took 15-plus years to earn that much equity worldwide, so losing Twitter as a brand name was a significant financial hit, said Steve Susi, director of brand communication at, at Siegel and Gale. Musk, whose company has already declined significantly in value since he purchased it for $44 billion in October, announced a change on Saturday night. By Monday morning, a new Black X logo, designed by a fan over the weekend, began to appear across the site. New Chief Executive Officer Linda Yaccarino outlined the company's vision for X to become a site for audio, video, messaging, payments and banking. And China's underperforming reopening is dragging down the global economic recovery, the IMF said on Tuesday, despite keeping its forecast for China's growth unchanged. Maintaining its forecast of 5.2% economic growth for China this year came in contrast to the International Monetary Fund's upward revision on both India and the United States by 0.2 percentage points to 6.1% and 1.8% respectively in its latest World Economic Outlook. China's recovery could slow in part as a result of unresolved real estate problems with negative cross-border spillovers, the IMF said in its flagship publication. Sovereign debt distress could spread to a wider group of economies. The IMF said earlier this year that China would contribute to more than 30% of global growth this year. However, the country's gradual loss of economic steam, as indicated by its sequential growth of 0.8% in the past quarter, looks like a long-term challenge to ambitious expectations that China would lead the global economic rebound this year. The IMF flagged negative potential implications for trading partners in the region and beyond. The principal risks include a deeper-than-expected contraction in the real estate sector in the absence of swift action to restructure property developers, weaker-than-expected consumption in the context of subdued confidence, and unintended fiscal tightening in response to lower tax revenues for local governments, it said. And Australia's inflation rate fell more than expected in the June quarter, increasing the likelihood that the Reserve Bank will extend its interest rate pause next week. The headline consumer price index for the April-June period was 6% higher than a year earlier, the Australian Bureau of Statistics said on Wednesday. That compared with the 6.2% pace expected by economists and down from 7% in the March quarter. Prices rose 0.8% for the June quarter alone, easing from 1.4% the previous three months. And former senior public servant Catherine Campbell has resigned from a $900,000 a year Department of Defence job in the wake of the Robo-Debt Royal Commission report. In a statement issued on Monday afternoon, the department said Defence can confirm it has accepted Catherine Campbell's resignation from the department with effect from Friday 21st of July 2023. The department said it would not provide further comment on this matter. The news comes days after confirmation that Campbell had been suspended without pay from a senior AUKUS advisory position following the Royal Commission report into the robo-debt scandal. And Treasurer Jim Chalmers has appointed Chris Barrett, a seasoned economist and former Chief of Staff to another Labor Treasurer, to head the Productivity Commission for the next five years. Barrett's appointment for a term of five years starting in September followed a rigorous process involving interviews with two departmental secretaries and the Australian Public Service Commissioner, Chalmers said on Monday. Barrett, a Deputy Secretary of Victoria's Treasury and Finance Department since January 2021, has held a range of senior appointments at home and abroad. This included being Wayne Swan's Chief of Staff from 2007-10, a role then taken up by Chalmers. Barrett was Australia's Ambassador to the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development in Paris from 2011-2014, to after which he became Executive Director of Berlin-based European Climate Foundation from 2015-19. to The Commission has often criticised Australia's poor productivity record in the past decade, including in its most recent 
five-year report. Outgoing Reserve Bank Governor Philip Lowe, too, has warned rising wages without workers becoming more efficient would mean higher interest rates for lower if inflation was to be reined in. The Commission has also tended to criticise subsidies to support renewable energy while backing a single explicit carbon price, a policy the Abbott government scrapped in 2014. Last week it warned against old-fashioned protectionism by governments trying to support industries such as a national battery strategy. And Labor will scrap a $200 million online calculator introduced by the Coalition to crack down on incorrect welfare payments as Government Services Minister Bill Shorten calls for better ethical oversight of policy in the wake of the illegal robo-debt scheme. Mr Shorten announced he's scrapping the entitlement calendar engine project announced in early 2020, designed to calculate welfare entitlements faster and more accurately. Former Minister Stuart Robert planned to use a calculator across aged care, veterans payments and modernisation of the healthcare system. In July 2020, he said the system would save taxpayers enormous amounts of money and increase speed in service delivery while removing friction for customers across government. But Mr Shorten said, despite hundreds of millions announced for development of the calculator, the government has nothing to show for it. Instead, it will be written off and discontinued as Mr Shorten pushes for a new kitchen cabinet of experts to help embed ethical oversight in government services. And home loan delinquency rates across banks and non-bank lenders are surging, reaching levels not seen since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic before government support measures were implemented. More Australians are also falling behind on their personal loan repayments than at any time in credit bureau experience records, which date back to 2019, when comprehensive credit reporting began in Australia. Experience analysis of the latest credit data shows 1.41% of all home loans were in arrears, up from 1.39% a month earlier, and the highest level since the pandemic ramped up in March 2020. It was a fifth consecutive monthly increase in mortgage arrears and a third of the percentage points higher than in April 2022, before the Reserve Bank raised the cost of money 10 times from nearly zero to 3.6% over the following year, as it sought to slow down the economy to avoid high inflation, becoming entrenched in people's expectations. The late payment statistics across mortgages, credit cards and personal loans in the more recent months of May and June are likely to be even higher given the RBA hike in cash rate, again at policy meetings in those two months, to leave it at 4.1% before pausing in July. The numbers from the Credit Bureau also show demand for credit has plummeted, with applications for Buy Now, Pay Later, BNPL products, falling the most, followed by credit cards, home and personal loans. Experian is one of the three largest credit bureaus in the country. It collects data from credit licensed companies every month, including banks, non-bank lenders and BNPL companies. Arrears data shows the proportion of accounts that have missed at least one payment in the previous 15 days. It includes close to 90% of all credit products in Australia. Missed payments on credit cards have risen for the third consecutive month to sit at 2.08% of all credit card accounts, the highest level since April 2020. Close to 6% of all personal loan borrowers have missed at least one repayment in April, the highest in 15 months. The Experian numbers followed the release of statistics by credit rating agency Moody's Investors Service, which earlier this month said 30-day arrears in prime colony home loans, mostly provided by non-bank lenders, had risen to 1.6% in March. Well, it takes about two months for all credit licensed companies to report comprehensive data to the bureaus. The latest statistics confirm what banks have warned of in recent weeks. Mortgage stress is climbing, albeit from low levels, and will continue to do so. The rapid increase in the cash rate has meant many fixed-rate mortgage borrowers paying only 2% on their mortgage a year ago are now being forced to refinance their loans at about three times that rate, squeezing household budgets. And businesses say casual workers will get the upper hand under Labor's proposed rights for regular casuals to convert to permanent employment every six months. 
Workplace Relations Minister Tony Burke on Monday detailed the proposal for employees to have the choice to convert to permanent after just six months in a job, and every six months after that, if they can prove they have regular working patterns. The right, which would cover an estimated 850,000 casual workers, is on top of the existing requirements for employers to offer every casual permanent employment after 12 months in the job unless they have reasonable business grounds not to. The new six-month test, where casuals could trade their 25% loading for for permanent benefits such as annual leave, follows Mr Burke's assurances that he would not change the law so that regular casuals could, could claim back pay for permanent entitlements such as annual leave, redundancy or other entitlements. And technology entrepreneur Mike Cannon-Brooks and his fashion designer wife Annie have separated. The couple, who married in 2010, separated more than a month ago. Cannon-Brooks is the co-founder and co-chief executive officer of collaboration software firm Atlassian, which was established in 2002. Cannon-Brooks had a fortune of about $19 billion this year, according to the Financial Review Rich List. The renowned environmentalist is also a part owner of the South Sydney Rapidar. His personal net wealth is built on the back of his 22% stake in Atlassian, a productivity software company co-founded with Scott Farquhar. US-listed Atlassian, valued at US $46.6 billion, that's $69 billion Aussie, posted a net quarterly loss of US $209 million for the quarter ending March 2023. Mike and Annie Cannon-Brooks also own stakes in a number of Australian businesses through their investment company, Grok Ventures, most notably ASX-listed utility AGL and payments company Tyro. Sydney-based Grok picked up an 11.3% stake in AGL last year and has been actively pushing the company to speed up its exit from coal. He has also amassed a large property portfolio headlined by the purchase of Fairwater, a 1.1 hectare beachfront estate in Point Piper in 2018 for $100 million. The couple were yet to move into the grand 1880 sandstone residence, which was long home to the late Lady Mary Fairfax. The family divide their time between Rose Hill Farm at Kangaloon in the Southern Highlands and an, and an historic house in Double Bay known as Verona, bought a few weeks before Fairwater for $17 million. The Cannon Brooks portfolio is held either in Mark's own name or the CBC co-proprietary limited corporate entity of which he is the sole director and owner. While the portfolio is not in Annie's name, she's widely tipped to have spearheaded much of the property acquisitions in both Sydney and the Northern Beaches. News of the Cannonbrook separation comes less than a fortnight after Andrew Tricky Forrest and Nicola Forrest announced they would end their marriage after 31 years. They said the decision will have no impact on their mining business or charity foundation. And tech giants Salesforce and NTT, along with AGL, American Express and MBN, are joining the banking sector in handing back unwanted office space as they grapple with staff demanding to work from home. The rise of flexible working practices and staff cuts have kick-started a wave of activity in the market as companies reassess their space requirements. One of the biggest downsizing is from tech giant Salesforce, which initially leased about 35,000 square metres in the building in Sydney's Circular Quay that bears its name, but now only needs 20,000 square metres. It is not alone, with American Express letting go of four floors at its Shelley Street site in Barangaroo. Meanwhile, ASF listed Landlease, which announced a tenancy reduction strategy in 2021 following the group's restructure, which included the sale of the engineering and services business, continues to whittle down its footprint at Barangaroo. According to Landlease, it has so far subleased 4,500 square metres of Barangaroo. Sublease space usually consists of extra capacity a tenant has earmarked to lease in times of expansion. If the space is not needed, it can be sublet to other businesses. The current CBRE sublease barometer shows Sydney's subleasing availability has grown to 125,000 square metres, an increase of 27,700 square metres from the same time last year. 
Utility heavyweight AGL has opted to sublease three floors at the EY building at 200 George Street, while NTT, formerly Dimension Data, is reviewing its 6,000 square metre requirement at the GPT-managed Darling Park, Tower 3, after the group said its global staff can all work from home. Westpac opted to offer space to the market in February 2022, which was subsequently leased to TBG at Barangaroo. In Melbourne, MBN has 16,000 square metres of available space at 655 Collins Street, formerly known as Media House when it was home to the Age newspaper. ANZ Bank has 13,000 square metres it is looking to release at 839 Collins Street, while NAB has a large amount of space of about 25,000 square metres at its 800 Burke Street Tower in Docklands. Australian Super is downsizing at its 130 Lonsdale Street office, while NTT is also subleasing office sticks at 35 Collins Street. IAG is offering 4,000 square metres at 181 Collins Street, while ME Bank has space at its 360 Elizabeth Street office. Telstra has 23,000 square metres available at 300 Latrobe Street, but the telco only has two years left on the lease contract, so has a short-term sublease strategy. The space hitting the market underpins the tough conditions that office landlords and investors are facing, and that is translating into lower returns for unlisted funds that also own buildings, but are pressured to redeem units to worried clients. The uncertain economic outlook continues to take its toll on Australia's core wholesale property funds, as they recorded a negative total return in the second quarter of 2023, according to the MSCI Mercer Australia Core Wholesale Monthly Property Fund Index from MSCI Real Assets, a part of MSCI. The overall quarterly total return for the index was minus 2.8 for the second quarter of 2023. The office funds were the main culprits as they recorded a minus 5.2% fall in capital growth as values started to see some significant adjustments. And the site of the first resort development proposed, the picturesque 12 Apostles on the Great Ocean Road, has been put on the block. The move by a private consortium, which has worked for years on a scene for 200 million hot springs and accommodation resort, beside one of the country's most visited attractions, comes as domestic and international tourism picks up. This has also prompted a surge in hospitality assets hitting the block after a logjam created by the pandemic. Hotels on offer range from the ultra-luxury Ritz-Carlton hotels in Melbourne and Perth to boutique properties such as the Woolstorff 1988 by Avolo in Sydney's Piermont. But the site beside the Twelve Apostles stands out as the area is one of the most underserviced for accommodation in the country. Developer Don Musto said last year that there was enormous tourism demand for the region, but there had been virtually no development beside the nearby sightseeing helicopters. He said the Twelve Apostles was a prime global tourism destination which had been held back. Work on the 80-hectare development was set to start early next year, but the developer is instead testing market interest in the project. Three companies, Rocktong Development, Quattro Corp and Pomeroy Pacific, had partnered on the Echo Resort development, which has a conditional $7.25 million Victorian government grant. The 12 Apostles project is set back 900 metres to limit the environmental impact and has been promoted as having the potential to shift the nature of visitors from day-trippers to longer stays. Real estate agent Stonebridge Property Group and HTL Property are marketing the 79-hectare freehold site. Designed by Neil Architecture, the 12 Apostles Hot Springs and Resorts is billed as shovel-ready and has permits in place for natural bathing, multiple food and beverage outlets and a 150-pod luxury wellness resort. The project also has a thermal board licence and EPA approval. The Twelve Apostles is world-renowned and visited by 2.2 million people each year. Very few people stay nearby. Projections by the developer would see the resort thriving year-round, with hot spring bathing providing hot and cold therapy. 
the Victorian Government has separately kicked off construction work on a new architecturally designed visited viewing area at a cost of $9.2 million. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Parry Laxman, the founder and CEO of Kangarama, which is on a mission to incorporate innovation, functionality and sustainability to create wearable safety scrubs. And I'll be talking to economist Nicholas Gruen about better ways of firms and super funds to invest in ESG. In the meantime, you catch me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you want, leave a comment. For the most exclusive access to leading economists and business leaders from around the world, subscribe to Talking Business on the Apple Podcast Store or on my website, leongetler.com. If you want to contact me, email me at leon at leongetler.com. I answer all emails. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing you Talking Business next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.